0: Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.
1: This is Colorado Edition from KUNC. On today's show, we hear from the mother of Elijah McClain, following an independent investigation into her son's death in an encounter with the police.
2: And later, following an outbreak of COVID-19, the University of Northern Colorado basketball teams are getting back on the court.
0: Everybody had to learn pretty much every position and be able to step into a spot at any given
2: moment.
1: All that and more, just ahead.
2: You're listening to KUNC's Colorado Edition. I'm Erin O'Toole.
1: And I'm Henry Zimmerman. On the night of August 24th, 2019, Elijah McLean, a young black man, was stopped by police in Aurora while walking home from a convenience store. During the encounter, police restrained him with carotid holds, handcuffs, and other tactics.
2: When paramedics arrived, McLean was injected with ketamine, a powerful sedative, and he lost consciousness. McLean died several days later. His story has become part of a national narrative about the often dysfunctional relationships between police departments and the communities they're supposed to serve.
1: On Monday, the city of Aurora released the results of a months-long independent investigation into Elijah McLean's death. That report found that police officers and paramedics acted inappropriately at almost every point of the incident, starting with the decision to stop him in the first place.
2: The report's findings validate what Elijah McLean's mother, Shanine McLean, has been saying publicly and privately about his death for nearly a year and a half. And she's here with us today to talk about her son, the independent investigation, and healing and justice. Shanine, we're very happy to have you on Colorado Edition. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So Thursday, February 25th, would have been Elijah's 25th birthday. If you're comfortable, we wanted to start by just giving you the space to tell us about your son and what you're thinking about on this day.
3: I, um, honestly, Elijah was just, he was just so intelligent, you know, he was, having conversations with my son was interesting because it would seem like we were sister and brother sometimes. Um and then he would always joke that he was like my father. <laughs> so <laughs> so oh, if yeah. you know, he was really he would do what he could to make a person feel good. You know what I'm saying? Um I think that's the reason why he took up massage therapy because he he was an artist. He was funding his um The way it was supposed to work, the massage therapy was supposed to fund his art school once he, you know, figured out which way he wanted to go with it, but, you know, things happen differently. So he's artistic. He's um, very intelligent. Again, he's very intellectual. Um, He can articulate himself really well, you know. He was just real understanding, you know, just real understanding of other people, other environments. He didn't like being around negativity. He didn't like being around people that like to argue a lot. He didn't like being around stress or struggle. You know, he wanted to be free because he was a free spirit, you know, and now he's even freer.
2: I've seen him described a lot as a very gentle and compassionate soul. And I love this so much, but he would play violin for shelter animals in his spare time. Are there any special memories of your son that you'd like to share?
3: everything's a special memory. (laughs) Um, I remember going to whenever I would take him somewhere, like uh, when I was dropping him off at work, um, before I stopped dropping him off at work, um, he would hop out and uh, he'd walk on his hands. You know, it didn't matter where he was at. He was always (laughs) doing handstands. Wow. Um, He would walk around like that because he said something about how it would help his balance, you know, so he was always he was always looking for a. He was a health conscious, so he was always looking for healthy reasons um, to live. You know, he even started pushing some of his ideas off on of me, which is the reason why I no longer smoke cigarettes and I no longer eat meat. So, I, I, I don't. I, I hate that I started it after he was killed, but I'm glad that I'm starting now.
2: It sounds like a really wonderful way to just keep him with you. Yeah, it is. I want to ask about the independent investigation that was commissioned by the city of Aurora. It was released on Monday. What was your reaction to that report? How did you feel when you learned the results?
3: I cried, but I was relieved, you know. Um, It was hurtful that it took so long for the truth to come out. But I was glad that the truth came out finally, because um, he never should have been labeled a suspect.
2: I think it must have been really... Just an intense relief to see that, you know, or to hear about it in the results.
3: It was. It um. <laughs> I told my daughters and everybody just started laughing happily. You know, everybody was just so happy that it was out. Um, my family, they're happy that it's out. So everybody's, you know, everybody's being supportive. But it was just a relief, you know.
2: Does it give you any sense of closure?
3: Oh, no. I, I will never have closure. No matter what happens, I will never have closure.
2: What does justice for your son look like for you?
3: Well, um, he's already gone. I can't get him back. Um, but justice for me means everybody that was there, everybody that participated and everybody that did not de-escalate, one, they need to be fired and there needs to be criminal charges um, because there is negligence. They totally avoided the reason why they got hired at the jobs that they were employed at, you know, so there definitely has to be charges. They have to be sentenced. They can't just be able to not spend any time in jail. They have to be able to spend time in jail so that they understand the severity of their crime because it is a crime. Um, to me, justice is them being punished for what they did. They took a life. So to me, life in prison would be great. You know, I know that's a long shot with the United States of America or the divided States of America, but That's still what I that's still my hope. You know, that's still what I pray for, honestly, Um, because they tore up my family, you know, and justice also means having new laws that take out profiling.
2: I wanted to ask you what role that you think racism played in the way that your son was treated by the police that night.
3: Honestly, as much as I I hate to say it, racism played uh, probably the main reason why they stopped him. I know that We've been fighting over, as humans, we've been fighting over race wars for so long, you know, so it's kind of hard to get off of it when it's always been there. But in my mind, if we could just get to the humanity part of it, then we can deal with the race wars later. You know, if we could just base everything on what human rights are, what's right and what's not right, then we can figure the rest out later. The color lines, they're always going to be there. We've always been different colors, yet we cannot even make any progress to have a better life.
2: I wanted to ask about the demonstrations last summer that were taking place all over the country, certainly here in Colorado, supporting the Black Lives Matter movement. There were some people who began using your son's words and his image for their purpose and their specific cause. At that time, you stated you were very uncomfortable with that. I wondered if you could tell us more about why you felt that way.
3: I felt that way because one they didn't know elijah (laughs) two they don't know how to represent elijah they don't know how to speak for elijah you know i don't think there's anything wrong with people coming to support you know support the cause support the movement support humanity's rights you know support what's right for one is right for all but there were some opportunists out there um there's I don't know how many times, even right now, there's like all kind of different Facebook pages. Um, at first, I was able to nip him in the butt, but there's so many now, it's kind of hard to do that. But a lot of the people were just misrepresenting him. There's people that have made songs off of his dying words, you know, like, no mom wants to hear that. You know, I got to hear it anyway when I look at the videos, but for the whole world to just think it's a song and to just, I don't, I don't know where they're, 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 They have no empathy, they have no consideration, they have no respect, like, it's still a murder investigation, you know what I'm saying? And his dying words only came out because those evil men pushed it out of him. You know what I mean? So, I don't know, I I find it hard that people are so insensitive to the plights of the murder victims' families, you know what I'm saying? And people are still saying he was autistic. I'm like, he wasn't autistic at all. Like, I don't understand where people get him saying he was different, meaning that he was autistic, its, it's so much misinformation out there. I just—it just—it drives me crazy, honestly.
2: Is there something you would want people to know about your experience? This experience of a mother um, just trying to grieve privately when so many people want to identify with Elijah's story.
3: Yeah, I'm realizing that um, I have to choose my battles <laughs> because mm-hmm. I had a TikTok. No, I have a TikTok now. Um, I just got a TikTok. So I've been posting things about Elijah. I have a Facebook. I have a YouTube. I have an Instagram. But I had to get off Twitter because Twitter was outrageous. Um, So I I, I pick and choose my battles the best I can right now. So I don't, you know, and make myself upset. But it's not easy. It really isn't. There's a, there's people that are selling t-shirts with his name on it, with his dying words on it. There's there people keep writing me, asking me if um, I'll agree to a documentary. And I'm like, it's not even over, you know? So I don't know, it's, it's frustrating. Everybody wants to, and see, I guess what I'm, I'm trying to get is like, people want to identify with him for different reasons. And to me, the only reason they should even, you know is it's all about humanity. We're all humans on this world. You know, if we can relate, then that's what we should relate to. There's Black people saying, oh, we relate to him because he was a Black man. And then there's there is Caucasians saying, well, we relate to him because he was a nice person. He was a massage therapist like I was, you know, but if we take out all the boxes and categories that we're placed in, we're just human. We're just human and humans should care about each other.
2: How do you feel about where you go from here? I imagine there are a lot of people who would like to have your voice and your um, support for different causes. And I'm just wondering what you feel comfortable with.
3: I'm comfortable. I don't know what I'm comfortable with. Honestly, <laughs> I'm still I'm still like working through the maze with it. Um, I did uh, start a foundation for Elijah, but it's a private Uh, foundation, one that we're not going to be accepting the donations of other people. We're actually doing what we can to have it uh, self-sufficient so that we can generate our own income and donate, you know, from that way, because I don't want to depend on other people's donations in order to do the things that I want to do through his foundation. Um, So that's what I've been working on with my kids. And um, we actually have some donations to do today, Um, did some yesterday. I really, I, I've always been a giver. I just had a limited amount that I could give with, you know, and now it's like, I can just give and it feels good, but it hurts at the same time because I'm only able to do this because he was murdered, you know, and because people reached out and people wanted to help.
2: What will you do with the foundation? What is it for? Can you say?
3: Yeah. Elijah was homeless. Um, he stayed with a family friend and, um, he stayed with a family friend because we were all looking for a place, you know. So we were all, I was in a hotel and he was living with a family friend. And um, so right now the foundation helps with the homeless. It, 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 it uh, does a lot of donations for homeless shelters. Um, and we're going to be doing some things with the Boys and Girls Club too. You know, we wanna we want to make some donations to the Boys and Girls Club too to help with the kids that are still growing up. Because my kids were always at the Boys and Girls Club. You know, I was a single mom. I was even pregnant, taking them there, working. And um, they loved it. You know, it helped them grow as individuals in so many ways because it is an enriching environment. You know what I mean? Just to be able to get away from your parents and all the, the drama at the house and everything else and, and just go have fun as a kid with other kids. So I love the Boys and Girls Club. Do you
2: have any thoughts or hopes for Elijah's legacy?
3: Humanity matters. You know, his um, his dying words showed how much he how much respect he had for humanity he um he didn't cuss out the ones that killed him he he didn't say anything bad about them at all he still respected the fact that they were human you know so elijah's legacy is he was kind he was compassionate he was a hard worker he was intelligent he was a massage therapist that his clients love you know what i'm saying everything good about elijah is what his legacy is going to be
2: Shanine McLean, mother of Elijah McLean. Thank you so very much for joining us.
3: Thank you for having me and for listening.
1: Following the release of the Independent Report, Aurora's police chief, Vanessa Wilson, said she could not discipline anyone involved while the state is still conducting a criminal investigation into what happened. Wilson said she didn't want to do anything that might influence a grand jury that State Attorney General Phil Weiser has convened as a part of his investigation. In addition to that, there is a Department of Justice investigation looking into potential civil rights violations.
2: You're listening to Colorado Edition from KUNC.
1: Earlier this month, federal lawmakers opened an investigation into several of the country's largest meatpacking facilities, including JBS USA in Greeley, over their alleged failure to contain the spread of coronavirus among their workers. A letter detailing the investigation says the Federal Occupation Safety and Health Administration, under the Trump administration, failed to carry out its responsibility for enforcing worker safety laws at these meatpacking facilities, resulting in preventable infections and deaths from COVID-19. Here to talk more about the investigation and where it might be headed is Dan Micah, who's been following it for BizWest. Dan, thanks for joining us. Hey, Henry. Tell us who's leading the investigation and what
4: the allegations really are. The House Select Committee on the Coronavirus Crisis, which was formed with the event of the new Congress, they are doing a lot of investigations into industry practices and uh, the Trump administration for uh, alleged failures to to allow scientists to do their work in, in researching and uh, issuing public statements about how dangerous coronavirus is and how, how it can spread the purposes of this investigation, that committee is sending out those letters and has now, we assume, received uh, some information from not just JBS and Pilgrim's Pride, which is a major employer in Greeley, but other major meat packers. really the entire industry that rely on people to go into meat packing plants and have done so under the past couple of months.
1: And they've done so because uh, former President Donald Trump invoked the Defense Production Act to keep plants open, what kind of safety guidelines were supposed to be enforced in the midst of this up until now?
4: So if you ask some of the plan managers, they'll say that they have issued PPE to people, they have installed barriers between workspaces, and those were mostly in line with what OSHA put into place. But some of those have been disputed by workers who have said to other outlets, not specifically to Biz West, that you know people are still walking around without masks. That uh, people uh, have been asked to work even though they are sick and like clearly are exhibiting signs of some sort of respiratory illness, which would, you know, even before the pandemic, you know, when you're dealing with food, is probably something that you shouldn't be dealing with. But with Defense Production Act and you know early on the the worry that. You know, specifically because meatpacking plants, because they are uh, enclosed spaces, there are a lot of people working in close quarters. It's very cold. Basically, there was a, a real worry that, you know, a lot of people will get sick and there will be a meat shortage simply because it is the perfect place for a respiratory disease like COVID-19 to spread, so the Defense Production Act was invoked, and I think what the 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 implication here from the committee so far is that they think that invocation kind of gave a, a carte blanche to meat packers to really keep working as as much as possible and to really enforce their rules and and kind of do business as usual, even though employees were contracting coronavirus and in some cases dying, including a handful in the JBS Greeley plant.
1: Tell us what JBS is saying in response to the investigation.
4: When I reached out to JBS at the onset of the investigation announcement, they said that they welcome it and that they welcome the opportunity to show how much they've been doing for their employees by giving unlimited PPE, by you know, making those physical barriers and making those, those changes to the factories. They've also claimed that they are uh, covering all COVID-related medical bills that their employees may be dealing with. But we've seen in some other media reports and uh, definitely by the wording of the letter from the House committee that there's not a whole lot of, of, of faith that they're truly doing as much as they could to and, and as much as they can to make sure that when people clock in for their shift, they aren't going to be having unnecessary exposure for the sake of protecting the person rather than potentially having to do something that would reduce their output.
1: Dan Micah is a reporter for BizWest. You'll find a link to his reporting on this at our website, KUNC.org. Dan, thanks as always for being here. Anytime, Henry. It's no secret that the coronavirus has stopped many college sports in their tracks, canceling games for weeks at a time or even ending entire seasons prematurely. And the University of Northern Colorado in Greeley is no exception. Late last month, a COVID outbreak on the men's basketball team brought the season to a halt. And just this past Monday, the team played their first game after a 24-day hiatus.
2: KUNC's Alana Schreiber talked with Elisa Wiggins, who plays for the UNC women's team, about how COVID forced the team to readjust nearly everything. But first, she talked with Steve Smiley, the head coach for men's basketball, about the team's recent return to the court. A few weeks ago,
5: around the time that you and many other players were diagnosed with COVID-19, you tweeted that safety will always be a first for our team. How has the UNC men's basketball team prioritized health and safety while engaging in a high-contact indoor sport?
6: We're still, and even well before the outbreak, masking up in practice. That's players, coaches, our entire bubble. Keeping our bubble pretty small. We only have 23 to 25 people, which is players, coaches, trainers, student managers. think School has done a great job of managing that, not rushing people back, but just doing things the right way. And then just from the NCAA, doing uh, mandatory testing at least three times per week.
5: During the COVID outbreak, the Bears had to cancel nine games over the course of 24 days. This past Monday, the UNC Bears finally got back on the court, How did players readjust, and how did the game go?
6: You know, over this break, this 24-day break, and as we slowly come back, we're still not back to full speed. still have five players that that are not uh, cleared to play basketball right now for a variety of reasons. We had multiple times where players had to play different positions, putting guys into different spots. And our guys, are they're very adaptable, and, and they understand, you know, you know, regardless of what position they're in, you know, they, they know what we want to do and what the game plan is. So it was not always pretty, and there were times where we kind of looked a little bit lost, but it was very encouraging how our guys adapted to that.
5: And you guys came out on top. We did, yep. What does the rest of the season look like for the team?
6: The goal is always to go to Marks Madison. And um, we think that we have a team that if we're playing well at the right time, that we can compete for championships. You know, last year when the pandemic hit, it was when we were in Boise getting ready to play our first game in that tournament. So we never got a chance to play a game. So... To be able to get back to Boise and to be able to compete and try to make a run in a championship, you know, hopefully one game at a time, that is still the goal.
5: I understand that the NCAA issued something called a zero year as an opportunity for some athletes to get more time playing their college sport. Can you explain why it was introduced and who it's for?
6: What the NCAA did is that they came out and said, okay, everyone's granted an extra year of eligibility. For instance, we have normally played 31 games in, in, in a regular season. Right now we have four games left, and I think we played 17 games. So we've still missed 10 games, which is a ton of games. It's a third of our year. So it gives those athletes the comfort to know that, okay, even if we don't have a, a full season, I'm not losing one of my four years of, of being able to play college. And from an academic standpoint, you've got five years. You get a four-year degree, maybe you get into your master's, so I think it's a great thing.
5: One of those players taking a zero year is Elisa Wiggins. The point guard transferred to UNC to play on the women's basketball team in late 2020. While the women's team hasn't faced as many game cancellations as the men's, they've had to make some major adjustments in order to eke out a season.
0: The theme of this season was just being versatile. And everybody had to learn pretty much every position and be able to step into a spot at any given moment been really interesting, you know, not knowing where you're gonna play each game, if your natural position might not be where we need you. So that's just been one of the great things of the season.
5: I understand that earlier this season, the team played a game with just six available
0: athletes. Can you tell me a bit about that experience? Yeah, so that game was uh, at Idaho State. We had a bunch of girls knocked out due to COVID protocol, and we traveled with seven initially, and one of our players got injured after the first game. so we only had six available. And for that game, we just knew that everybody had to step up, and it was really a collective effort to see if we could try to pull it out And against one of the best teams in the conference. We kept it a close game and only lost by 10, but it was definitely a, a different experience for most of us to just be able to play 40 minutes back-to-back, and um, I think that's what we were most proud of.
5: Earlier this month, your team was gearing up to play Utah when the game was abruptly canceled.
0: What happened there? We had um, started warming up for the game, and there was a player on the opposing team that started developing some COVID symptoms. And as a precaution, they took everybody back to the locker room, and we're all waiting behind the scenes. So this is, like, 30 minutes after the start time, and, you know, they were delaying the game, delaying the game. And then we just decided that it'd be best not to play the game. It's best interest of our safety and things like that.
5: You transferred to UNC in the middle of a pandemic, What was that like?
0: Yeah, it was definitely challenging. We couldn't really interact with many people outside of our bubble. So just to be able to come here into a new environment and not really have a chance to, like, branch out into study groups or just finding your niche. But with the team, it was able to to bring very close relationships between the players. We were able to just have a lot of team bonding and team exercises. So that's been one of the benefits out of this whole experience. What are your
5: hopes for the team for the rest of the season?
0: We want to win a Big Sky Championship. That's the first thing on our minds. We've competed with the top teams in the league, and we can pretty much beat anybody on any given day. So we really want to go into conference tournament, pull out a win there, and then make it to the NCAA tournament.
5: I understand that you're going to be taking a zero year. Why do you think that the zero year is an important option for players like you?
0: For me personally, it was the best decision as far as my academics. I'm going to pursue a master's degree in coaching here at UNC. This year was an experience, but it was really different experience. It wasn't a traditional season. For a lot of players, we just kind of want that back to normalcy. But the academics really drive my decision and uh, being able to do that and play at the same time was just something that I wouldn't be able to get anywhere else.
1: That's our show for today. On the next Colorado Edition, we'll look back at the history and contributions of black cowboys in the American West. And we'll trace that history up to the present, where cowboy culture lives on in the form of rodeo competitions. I'm Henry Zimmerman.
2: And I'm Erin O'Toole. Our production staff includes Tess Novotny, Alana Schreiber, and Ray Solomon. Brian Larson is our executive producer.
1: Thanks for listening. This is Colorado Edition from KUNC.